Welcome back to Boilers in the Stands. I am your host, Joe Jackson. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Craig Bowers. Craig, how are you doing today? Uh, doing well, man. Um, excited about the show tonight. I know, uh, you know, so much in the landscape of college sports has changed in the last few years, and a large part of that is around NIL and then the formation of these alliances. And and I've always had a lot of questions just about, well, well, what is an alliance? What exactly does it do? How does it operate around the university and with student athletes? So I'm really excited to bring uh, Dave on tonight and and kind of have that conversation. And we collected a lot of fan and alumni questions coming into the show um, that we're, we're going to uh, put up for Dave to answer tonight, too. So I'm just excited to get a little bit more educated about the whole process tonight. Yeah, 100%. It'll, it'll be a good conversation, um, and we'll bring him on now, and that is CEO of the Boilermaker Alliance, Dave Neff. Dave, appreciate you coming on. Hey, good evening. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, so yeah. as we uh, uh, get into it, I guess we should probably just start with a little bit of background, and so if you could just tell us a little bit about who you are and kind of what your role is with the Boilermaker Alliance. So I was hired in December, uh, just a couple months ago, as CEO of Boilermaker Alliance, which for those that don't know is Purdue's exclusive NIL collective. And so this group was really formed in, in late spring of 22 by a group of alumni, really volunteers. Uh, they formed a board and, um, you know, had some just sort of interim leadership, um, had a, had a full-time staff person. Uh, he left last summer, uh, director of operations went up to UConn. And so then they entered into a search, uh, really to find a leader, uh, for the collective going forward. And I was reached out to by a, by a recruiter in Indianapolis and um, really just kind of went from there. I've got a background in sports, started my career at Pacer Sports and Entertainment, uh, have been in sort of chief revenue officer type roles, have, have kind of been in both the private sector and the philanthropic sector, which, you know, Boilermaker Alliance is a 501c3. We also have a, a for-profit entity as well that where we can facilitate commercial Deal. So you know, I think the world of the Purdue brand, I think it's extremely hot right now, certainly in um, men's basketball, but just as a university and, um, you know, being in the cutting edge of, of college athletics, despite what some people might think of NIL, this is a system that's that's here to stay. It'll continue to evolve. I just I just saw it as a, a really unique opportunity in time. Yeah, Dave, and I've got another question, but just for listeners who don't know what a 5013 or a 50, what'd you say? 503C? 5013C? It's a, it's a non-profit, so a charitable organization where we can accept donations that are then tax deductible. Okay, good, yeah. good. Um, I guess just to begin, can you give us an overview of like what is Boilermaker Alliance? Yeah. Just in yeah. general, what do, what do these alliances do around universities? So, so what we're referred to as a, is a collective. And so, uh, again, to be clear, I am not a Purdue employee. Collectives, all collectives must live outside the university. And so um, what I think Purdue has been really smart about is you, you see sometimes at other schools, there's multiple collectives and this donor is getting in a turf war with this donor, right? Because they care about football over basketball or, you know, this, that, and the other. Purdue's been really smart. And, I, and I'll give, uh, you know, Mike Babinski, the athletic director and his team, a lot of credit, uh, as well as Mike Berghoff, the, the board chair, uh, who's who's been very supportive of us, the board chair of Purdue University, um, to say we're only going to have one that we endorse, and that's the exclusive collective, and that's Boilermaker Alliance. And, and what's so critical guys in this NIL space is trust and alignment. Uh, 
If you don't have those things, I mean, Purdue has 600,000 living alum, as I'm sure you know. Um, it's already sort of this, this topic that has a little bit of taboo around it, right? I think it's getting more normalized with each passing month. Uh, I get that some people still don't love it. Uh, but face it, college athletics is an economic machine. And a lot of other people are getting paid. And so, you know, college athletes and we can get into, you know, kind of what that looks like. Most are not being minted millionaires. We can get that out there. Right. But to have a little bit of extra money that they can send home so their parents can travel and watch them, you know, compete and get a hotel and pay for parking. I mean, little things that add up. Right. I, I know the the purest thing. Ah, the scholarship's enough. And and that should be it. Right. The scholarship and the education to get at Purdue. But you know, times have evolved. And so this is obviously the system that we have. In order to be competitive, we have to have a robust NIL collective. Why? To attract elite athletes. Purdue already has world-class facilities, support staff, coaches. Elite athletes is the missing piece. And you're not going to get it without some form of a competitive NIL program. So so what is that? Like, what does the a collective do, though? Just yeah. You guys essentially are are finding charitable organizations, businesses for the student athletes to ink NIL deals with, or how does like what in general, what does yeah. the collective do? So the collective, I'll be very clear as well. You know, we are not out meeting with recruits. Uh, donors of to the collective are not out meeting with recruits. That's that's impermissible, and that's why you saw Florida State get in trouble a few weeks ago. There's an investigation going with Tennessee. I would like to assure uh, Boiler Nation, you know, I, I talk with our compliance um, department almost every other day. And so we are we are really working hard to, you know, abide by the rules, do things above board as Purdue has always done. Uh, we didn't have this infrastructure in place, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and and maybe there's some other schools that already did, you know, I don't want to point fingers, but, um, you know, so we're, we're, we're building the plane uh, while we're flying it. And so our job at the collective is to bring in funds. As I said, there's really three primary streams. One, the biggest has been large major donor type gifts, right? Um, that's been the initial, I would say, seed capital uh, that's allowed us to be somewhat competitive. Secondly, we have a, a membership model. So for as low as $25 a month, and I'd like to come back to that, members, you know, people can sign up, alums, fans of Purdue can sign up. Um, and, and that makes a, a real difference. I just want to be clear, 25 bucks a month, 125 bucks a month, whatever you can do, this is where collectives are going because you have to build a deep, uh, membership base in order to be competitive. We can't just rely on, you know, the top 20, 50 donors, right? Cause they're getting hit up by John Purdue club and, uh, you know, and others. And so donor fatigue is a real thing, but that's where some of the initial funds have come from as major donors. Now we're trying to really, I think these next 11 months are critical for the membership model. We've got four tiers. Uh, and then the third would be the corporate or commercial deals. And so when NIL first got legislated, uh, the truest form of NIL is where, um, let's take a student athlete, a Dylan Thieneman on the football team. You know, he, he leverages his own name, image, and likeness to do a deal with uh, Bruno's in, in West Lafayette, right? Bruno's will say, hey, we want to bring Dylan in and sign autographs for, for an hour. Well, that was just between Dylan and Bruno's, you know, collective wasn't involved. And they do that through something called the Boilermaker Marketplace Exchange, which was the first sort of thing that got stood up 
couple of years ago before the collective even got started. And that really is true NIL. You know, where things have evolved with these collectives now, which which I'm leading, you know, we're we're raising funds uh, really more in the sense of roster valuation. Right. But it's not a salary cap, but that's that's really more what it's like. OK, so so if we have X amount of dollars, you know, and we've got 85 scholarship uh, players on the football team, they're not all getting NIL packages. But how do we value right what certain players or positions are worth? And you, you see lots of on three NIL valuations out there. Um, they're, they're good. But that data, if, if you see something that says this player is worth $900,000, that's their valuation. That doesn't mean they're getting actually paid that, right? Those are two different things. And so we're, we're the group that's bringing in the revenue. So a lot of it has been fundraising. All the student athletes are on that are getting paid NIL money are on contract with Boilermaker Alliance. Okay, so their contracts are with us. They're 1099s. They don't get paid the money until they've performed a service. And this is where we go out into the community, partner with the Boys and Girls Club, Versity Blood Bank. Blood Bank. We had a group of football student athletes reading to students at Miami Elementary and Lafayette earlier this week. And once they've completed out of season, it's generally two appearances. In season, it's one. They, have to, they also have to do a couple social posts a month. But once they complete that, that's when we can issue their monthly payment. And it's done through a system of record called influencer. So this is all documented, um, you know, notes are taken, pictures taken. And once they do their, their service work for the, for the month, that's when we can issue payment. So it's not pay to play. You hear about that. You hear about other schools where student athletes are like, oh, I don't have to work at all. And I still get paid. You know, again, the Purdue way, we, we are certainly abiding by how NIL is designed. Yeah, so um, we we did get a couple comments as we we put out some questions, just you know, to, to our social medias and stuff. Um, one that we got was from David Elkins from Boiler Diehards, and so he asked, "How does the relationship between uh, you know the, your Boilermaker or the Boilermaker Alliance Alliance and the school work? Like, what is the relationship between those two, and how does it kind of overlap yeah. if there is any?" Great question. So, um, you know, as I was doing my due diligence on this role, obviously people think of John Purdue Club, right? They're the they're the internal uh, fundraising arm for for Purdue athletics. So, Tim House leads that group. Tim and I uh, and his team work closely together. Again, I'm not I'm not a Purdue employee, but we can communicate, right? It's not you know we we can talk about um, you know if I'm talking to a certain donor and I can kind of call him, hey, do you know this guy? And vice versa, you know, because something that we found is I think we've helped uncover some wealth and capacity that maybe wasn't on their radar. Um, obviously, they know the the athletics donor base to Purdue um, better than anyone. And so I've leaned on them. I kind of view them as my number one channel partner. So if we're trying to pull an event together, uh, a fundraising, let's say dinner, you know, I'm going to work very closely to identify the right people um, that have the capacity that can be in the room. And I, and I lean on those guys in a in a big way. Now, at the end of the day, they can't close uh, any of those asks or deals. That has to be done by the alliance. They can close their JPC fundraising, but any money that's given to the collective really has to go through through me and my team, which I've just got one other staffer and then and then the board that governs Boilermaker Alliance. Um, and so it's a very strong, healthy, uh, collaborative relationship. You know, we do. There has to be sunlight right between the collective and the university or, or athletics. And so we're, we're very mindful of that. But again, 
we are the exclusive collective. So there's a lot of trust building there, a lot of communication. And so uh, the other thing, last thing I'll say about collectives, it's become a, we've identified it as a good place for people that really care about Purdue athletics, but that don't live in, you know, Indiana, Indianapolis, West Lafayette, because they don't care as much about their parking and their points and their tickets that if you're a JPC member, as you guys know, really matter. And so if you're in Atlanta, West Coast, Texas, Purdue alum, you care, Collective can be one of the best places to invest because that's going to help us attract, you know, lead athletes. Yeah, I, I know you've mentioned the 501c3 side of this and working with charitable organizations. And I, and I think you already said a couple of the type of organizations you work with. But I think people would be interested just to know, like, what types of charities has the Alliance connected student athletes with? Like, what, what are some of those that, that you can think of off the top of your head? Yeah. So um, a couple that I'll just mention that have been great partners, the uh, Versity uh, Blood Bank Blood Center. So we just did a, a blood drive with them uh, two weeks ago with the men's basketball team. And we've actually gotten some great data back that um, a typical blood drive for them, you know, without student athletes, and then one with the men's basketball team, we actually um, doubled the amount of units of blood just by having the student athletes there as a draw more, you know, we did it at Croc on uh, leadership center on campus. And so students are coming through, Oh, there's, you know, some members of the basketball team, We'll stop in. So, I mean, it's it's really providing a lift for the for the charity, right? In that case, donating blood. Er, earlier this week, we had a number of the members of the um, the football team at uh, this elementary school reading to kids, and we captured some great content for our social you know media handle. Really, to, again, we're trying to demystify NIL and and show that these are it's not pay to play. They are taking time out of you know busy schedules as you know, students as well as D1 athletes to get out into the community a couple times a month. And, and you know, to see the number two team in the country uh, reading, or uh, this week it was football, so not the number two team in the country, but to see the men's basketball team out there in season, engaging uh, football right now out of season. They've, they've spent a lot of time with the Boys and Girls Club in Lafayette. Um, it's there's, there's Those are just a few that have been great partners for us in and around West Lafayette. And so as, you know, this is still a very much evolving world of NIL and collectives and all of this, um, and then you look at where the Big Ten is going, right, adding four new teams next season, all of that, you already mentioned how there's, a, um, like, you just, you need this type of, you know, a collective or whatever it is to help draw elite athletes to your school. Yeah. Where do you kind of feel that, like, the Boilermaker Alliance stands right now, and um, especially, like, when you compare it to other Big Ten schools? Yeah. So, you know, I was with um, Coach Walters last night down, down here in Naples. There's a big Purdue for Life, John Purdue Club deal. And, um, you know, we were talking talking to a group of, uh, you know, JPC JPC donors. And, and he does a good job of laying out sort of the tiers within the Big Ten, right? So you think about your, your tier one schools in football. We're just talking football right now. Uh, your Ohio State, your Michigan's, maybe Penn State. Then you look at those West Coast schools coming in, uh, certainly Oregon, USC, probably Washington and UCLA, you know, a tier one big 10 football collective is probably in the, you know, eight to 10 million a year just for football. Okay. Just that that's what they have in their collective earmarked for football uh, tier two where, where Purdue has recently entered. Um, you know, I would, I would say 
three to seven million. And then you've got a few schools that, uh, you know, until recently, maybe an IU, Northwestern, Rutgers, you know, sort of those tier three that might be under three million. I will say this from a year ago to this year. And again, I just started two months ago. Um, we we went out. I, really, it was it was my board and, and others before I got here. Um, we forexed our football budget. So, you know, don't want to get into the specific numbers, but we're we're comfortably in that tier two range. And uh, I don't know if you've seen, but um, we've got a, a top 10, top 15 transfer portal hall. We got 15 new players in for football. And that would have been wouldn't have been possible without the generosity of, of some um, some donors that really stepped up in a meaningful way. And so, you know, is that the most sustainable thing to go out and get get these big checks every year? No. And that's why this monthly membership model to become a member of the Alliance, as I said, for twenty five dollars a month, get access to some exclusive content through Golden Black. And we're working on some other benefits. It goes a long, long way. We've got three hundred and forty members today across a range of tiers. I'd like to see that be three or four thousand. It's doable when you have a six hundred thousand living alumni base. But this is why we're getting out talking to groups like like yours. And and I do want to put this out there. We have an anonymous donor who has said uh, they will make up to a two million dollar uh, investment into this is the first time I've shared this into Boilermaker Alliance against new members that sign up. So not just big gifts, but hey, you join at twenty five bucks a month, hundred and twenty five bucks a month. They will they will match that up to uh, two million dollars. So we're we're really trying to focus on that membership piece. Why? Because that's a re sticky recurring you know monthly revenue stream. Uh, that can be that can be scaled right and and is much more sustainable than hitting up big donors year after year yeah i we're in the breaking news business now joe <laughs> yeah um i i think you mentioned it in that um you, you set a target in terms of the amount of members that you would like to have signed up as a goal is 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 that where your target is? That's where your goal is in terms of total membership. Is there a total number just monetarily you'd like to see the alliance get to yeah. on an annual basis? I mean, we're we're on our way. We're not a we're not an eight figure, a ten million dollar collective yet. I think I think that's a really healthy goal, uh, and that's for that's for everything. Obviously, you know the lion's share. We're, we're really prioritizing four sports at the alliance: football, men's and women's basketball, and women's volleyball. We have the ability to take in funds for any of the varsity sports. I've taken in funds for baseball, um, talking to some donors about, you know, even swimming. But, you know, to, to be able to really be, I think, where we want to be at, a, at from a competitive standpoint within the Big Ten, which, as you guys know, Big Ten and SEC is where all the power is at. Um, and so we're not going to probably be at the SEC level of, of you know, collective fundraising. It's, it's a different vibe down there but that doesn't mean that the roi and the efficiency of the dollars that we do raise can still have a can have a significant impact you saw schools last year that went out um miami down in down in florida you know eight ten million and, and they didn't have a great year did they and then you saw other schools that you know didn't raise as much money and, and went ten and two and so i think you know starting to measure the roi of what you're actually deploying into your roster is, is going to be critical going forward Yeah, that's uh, it's all interesting stuff. As, as somebody, for me, I've uh, been on the outside and, and I understand a little bit of what's going on, but not a lot. Uh, it's been really helpful so far. 
as we get through, you know, we have a few more questions and then we will let you get out of here. Um, is there an education offered to students around NIL, you know, making sure that they're utilizing it correctly, they understand um, what their benefits are, but then also understanding what's, you know, allowed by NCAA and, and all of that that's going on? Yeah, great question. So, yes, there is. Um, there's a director of NIL, full-time role. His name's Jay Giddens. He works inside Purdue Athletics. So I talk to Jay a lot. Again, I'm outside. He's inside. Uh, Jay um, is is working very closely with all the student athletes, especially the ones that are receiving NIL compensation. There's financial literacy resources available to them because, again, they're 1099s. So we're not withholding taxes. So, you know, when I went up and talked to all the football uh, transfers earlier in January and, and kind of explained who I am, my role, um, you know, it's it's imperative that, hey, the IRS doesn't have a sense of humor. You need to set aside X amount, right? If you go out and spend this and you don't have anything at the end of the year, you know, that's it's not going to be a good situation to be in, right? And so um, there's certainly an education, especially around financial literacy, and Jay's a big part of Jay's job is is working very closely with the student athletes on that. Yeah, I, I know, Dave, uh, I, I think most Purdue basketball fans have heard a little bit at some point uh, about unique situations for Zach around NIL. But are there specific situations or regulations around international players that changes the dynamic? Um, so. International student athletes. So we've got a couple on men's basketball, as you as you indicated. We've got one on football. They've got their student visas, but they do not have visas that enable them to work in the U.S. So it gets we have to get very creative. Um, they can do work outside the U.S. And so when uh, men's hoops was in Toronto uh, back in December for the game versus Alabama, we we loaded um, you know Zach and, and Will up uh, with videos to shoot for charities. Uh, you know, autograph, you know, in the, in the few hours that they had, that was really kind of how they could get compensated because they can't get compensated while they're in Indiana doing any work. They can't even put out a tweet and get compensated for that promoting a charity. So it has to happen uh, outside of the U.S. And, you know, I've, I've kind of asked the question, I think getting a work visa can be a very cumbersome process. And so, um, you know, right now it's it does make it a little tricky. And so generally we you know, I had a football player go up to Toronto over a weekend so that he could, you know, do some do some service work so that he could get compensated. Otherwise, we're not going to issue payment. Um, we can't issue payment because uh, there needs to be a disclosed service that was provided. Uh, and so that's how we that's how we abide by those rules. Yeah, I, I see yeah. a I see a, a question in here, a comment maybe from Pete. I can address about in, increasing events for donors. You know, we're we're actively working on that, uh, Pete. You know, I, I just took this role and, and yeah, for members, we've got the Mondays with Matt, uh, Matt Painter, which we've got one actually coming up this Monday, which is a special benefit for all of our varsity level and above members. So $125 a month. Uh, we've got uh, Ethan, Ethan uh, Morton and Mason Gillis, who will be on the docket this Monday, uh, live in person, in West Lafayette. And then we've got one more in March, which will be Matt Painter. Um, you know, we're, we're, it's myself and one other uh, staffer. And so we don't have the infrastructure quite yet of a, of a JPC to kind of plan and execute all these events. But I, you know, we're going to be, it's top of mind. We're, we're kicking around some things to do for the spring game. Um, so stay tuned on that. It's April 13th this year for football. So we want to, we want to try to create more spaces and events for members of the Alliance to connect. 
And for those of you that are going to listen on Apple or Spotify tomorrow, just so you understand what we were talking about right there, Pete's comment was to uh, please increase the events for donors during game days, season ticket holder for football, basketball, day one alliance membership model participant, but can't make it down for special trips on, on another day on Mondays for the sessions, just wants more stuff around game day. So that that's what Dave was addressing there specifically about looking for more opportunities to do that. Yeah, so um, I think another you kind of have hit on this throughout the throughout this interview a little bit, but I think a little bit more clarity would be beneficial for a lot of people of um, what is kind of the difference between John Purdue Club and Boilermaker Alliance. You know, there's a lot of people that they give a lot of money to John Purdue Club to you know cover different sports and things like that and scholarships, and now are also asked for being being asked to donate for NIL. Um, so maybe just like a little bit of clarity, I guess, of yeah. if you could more differentiate of what the the two are so john purdue club is all of the internal uh fundraising for purdue athletics as mentioned i live outside of of purdue athletics right the collective i'm not even a purdue employee um so in that sense you know we, we live in totally different spots i could see the confusion though because um john purdue club's uh, fundraising efforts are oriented towards you know could be big capital projects, right? I know we've, we've kind of improved a lot of those recently, but new facilities or, um, you know, towards scholarships, that sort of thing, like big, big initiatives that are internal to athletics. They, they cannot, however, raise any money that uh, goes to compensate student athletes as part of NIL. So that's where the collective comes in. Uh, our job, all the funds that, that we raise are going to, uh, you know, compensate student athletes as part of their NIL package if they have one. And so, um, you know, donors can indicate, hey, I want to give it to a specific sport, football or women's basketball, or they could say, hey, use it where where it's needed most. And um, so we always we always track that anytime we received uh, receive a gift or a donation. Yeah, I there's been a couple of questions that the fans brought up or around the recruiting process specifically of like, I, I'm assuming the collective itself can't get involved in the recruiting process at all. Does, yeah. and I, I realize you're outside of Purdue, but is that something that um, in the recruiting process, they can say guys on average, have earned this kind of NIL money or kind of when does the, the collective not get involved until the students actually on campus or just kind of, how does that have whole dynamic around recruiting and then getting on campus actually work to signing right. an NIL deal? Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're right. You're spot on Craig in that I'm not out meeting with recruits. We don't have donors out meeting with recruits saying, if you come to Purdue, we're going to pay you um, 10 grand a month. Right. We, we don't do that. We get involved after they're already committed to Purdue. Well, so then it's like, well, how do the, you know, the coaches that are out doing the recruiting, they also cannot say, if you come to Purdue, we'll give you 10 grand a month. What they can do though, is talk about, Hey, we've got a really strong collective Boilermaker Alliance and for, you know, uh, a similar position or similar, uh, you know, student athlete in your position, wide receiver, what have you. Um, he's got a, he's got an NIL package that looks like this and, you know, we could we could see you probably in a in a similar vein, right? It's more in the approach of how you say it. You can't just go out and, and say, "Hey, we're giving you X a month if you come here." That would be an impermissible benefit or an inducement. Which you've again, if you're tracking any of sort of these things with 
Tennessee and Florida State, uh, the NCAA is starting to to crack down on a bit. Yeah. Can you, for the people who are joining up with the Alliance, um, so this was another fan question. That This was from, I, I'm assuming this isn't his real name, but Huka Donkic from Boilers in the Stands Twitter. Um Asked a question about can can if you join the alliance or donate to the alliance, can you earmark that money specifically for a specific sport? Yeah, yeah, you can. And so, and most most donors, I, I would say, do have a specific sport in mind. Uh, we do have some that just hey, they understand that we do have a little bit of uh, you know overhead and infrastructure, right? When when people want more events, well, that's gonna that's gonna fall on staff, right, to plan those events. So that's roles like mine. Uh, Maddie, the young lady on my team. And so, um, you know, having having uh, some general use of funds for some of the overhead or infrastructure. I mean, as I mentioned, JPC's got a team of probably nearly 25 folks and they're doing, yeah, great events and high level of service. And so um, we have to we have to build that, you know, infrastructure right now. But for the most part, when people give, there's usually a, a sport that they, you know, uh, want to single out and support. Yeah. And then lastly, I'll just, well, we'll ask you, we told you 30 minutes, so I don't want to hold you too much longer, but you mentioned the membership. Um, how, how can people join up for that membership? Where they, where can they find the information to join that membership? And then also, are there other opportunities that Purdue fans and alumni could choose to support if they don't necessarily want to do the monthly membership? Yeah. If you, if you don't want to do a, uh, so I guess, first off, go to BoilermakerAlliance.com. Um, you'll see kind of three pathways there. Uh, be, join the Alliance. I think in the top right corner, you click on that uh, membership and then you'll see sort of the four tiers and, and sort of what comes what comes with each. That would be that would be ideal. However, if you just want to go on, make a one time donation, like a pure donation, that's that's actually tax deductible. You can do that through the website as well. Uh, the membership piece is is not tax deductible because of the benefits that you're receiving, the access to the exclusive content, that sort of thing. So that that actually is more part of the, the commercial side of what we do. Um, and so, yeah, donations, become a member. Uh, you know, if you're a if you're a, a business owner, we're going to have more opportunities coming down the line where if, if you are interested in certain student athletes, you know, really kind of more the true form of NIL being a being a brand ambassador for you. You know, we've got couple of arrangements with some of our student athletes with some of the car dealers right where they're sort of in kind getting getting a set of wheels um and they're an ambassador for that for that car dealer in west lafayette you know that's another form of sort of a an nil deal right where they're not getting cash but in in, in return for endorsing and promoting that car dealer they get a they get a car while they're on campus right i gotcha um is, is there any other kind of big things that you wanted to hit on uh, while why we had a captive audience here beyond what we've already talked about so far? Or do you think that kind of covers the main things? No, this has been great. You know, I think a lot of a lot of what we're trying to do, and I appreciate the platform, is just educate people. You know, I've been in this role seven weeks and and I'm probably considered an expert, right, compared to the general public, just because I'm I'm in it every day. Um, I'm reading about sort of new developments and, and NIL seems it's, it's a headline uh, almost every other day, right? There's something that's coming out uh, in the vast world of sports. And so I would just say, if you care about Purdue athletics, which I know now having spent a couple months uh, amongst the fan base, it's an educated 
uh, hungry fan base. Um, they do their homework. They do their research. Um, we've got to just deepen the bench of support. And I know, uh, I know it's there because I, I know what JPC does and what they've built. And so I think it's, again, just demystifying some of these rumors about all, you know, how much the guys are, are making. They're all, they're all just, you know, uh, being frivolous with the spending. And you got some horror stories out there, but that's not going to happen at Purdue. Uh, and then also just the good that they're doing in the community and, and how this is sort of benefiting. You know, many of our student athletes don't come from super affluent backgrounds. And so the simple fact of being able to have some extra money so that, you know, their parents can travel to watch them compete and get a hotel and pay for parking and that sort of thing. It, it really goes a long way. And all right. Well, I think um, I don't think we have anything else. We do appreciate you coming on, Dave, um, and, you know, just being able to kind of explain to us, but then also obviously everybody out there that's listening, just a little bit more detail and background on what's actually going on with the Boilermaker Alliance and, you know, people that do donate kind of where their money actually is going. So, yeah, we really we really do appreciate you coming on and explaining all this stuff. Yeah. 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 And Go ahead. I, I know I, I had a lot of questions just around like how it all worked and what the alliance was and what it did. So I, I know personally, I, I learned a lot tonight. So I certainly do appreciate you coming on. You bet guys. Well, thank, thank you again for the platform again, really uh, strongly, e even 25 bucks a month, become a member. We've got an anonymous donor that's willing to, you know, match up to $2 million, which is meaningful. And so we really, uh, you know, want to try to broaden that base of support over these, over these next 11, 12 months. Awesome. All right. Yeah. All right, appreciate you coming on. Yep. Yep. All right. So that was Dave Neff, CEO of Boilermaker Alliance. Really good, you know, in-depth talk about uh, what's going on with that and in this new world of NIL, given, given some good info on all of that. So uh, we are going to preview the, the Purdue IU game for just a few minutes coming up right here. Before we do get to that, though, I uh, do want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Fanbags. Those, um, this show is brought to you by Fanbags Cornhole, Chicago's official supplier of professional cornhole boards and bags. Choose from any of their officially licensed designs or have Brian design a custom set using anything from a selfie to your company's logo. Visit www.fanbagscornhole.com and use the promo code BRAGS to get 10% off your entire order. That's www.fanbagscornhole.com and use promo code BRAGS for 10% off. Step up your game with Fanbags Cornhole. So yeah, really good talk about NIL and the Boilermaker Alliance and all of that. Um, and now we will get to the Purdue IU game. It's it's you know a rivalry game uh, on Saturday. I, I think that's a pretty big deal. Um, even if you know the projection obviously is not going to be that close of a game. I think Kemp Hum has it like a twenty point win for Purdue right now. But it's a rivalry game, and anything can happen. Like we expect Purdue to win, or I guess I should shouldn't speak for you yet. But like I. I feel comfortable enough saying that like we expect Purdue to win. We expect Purdue to handle Indiana just like they did at IU, but it's a rivalry game. So anything can happen. So Craig, I'll throw it to you. What are your kind of uh, 
initial or, or some of the just main things you'll be looking for in this game? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's funny in general because I actually, I actually saw uh, Casey Bartley and uh, his his partner on the podcast. They did, he put something out earlier about like, this is probably his least pumped up or hyped up he's gotten about the rivalry game in a while. And I sent him a message and I was like, same. Like I, <laughs> when you and I were talking earlier, I was like, I think 10 minutes will probably do it tonight. Like I, it's, it's hard for me to get psyched up about this game or to worry too much about this game. I, I think IU has some pieces, right? And they've started to put some things together at times. Like, but they haven't done it consistently. And and you watched the other night and it took Trey Galloway going off for 25 points, right? And and is that sustainable? Do we think Trey Galloway is going to go off for 25 points against Purdue? I, I highly doubt it, right? Especially not at Purdue. But I guess the one thing I would say is, you know, I, I use bigs got in foul trouble early in that last game at IU, right? Where went out relatively early with foul trouble, right? Yeah. yeah. So in a hypothetical world, um, let's say that doesn't happen this time around. I think Zach puts him into foul trouble quickly again, personally, but let's say that doesn't happen. When their starting five was on the floor, there were moments that they gave Purdue some issues. Um, because Perfect. with that, yeah, with that starting five, then you've got an, um, You've got Mbako at the three, and Mbako caused some problems for us defensively in that situation. Um, and they've shown, you know, Renew can get hot, Renew can go off. So there's always a chance that this game might be closer than what it looks like, what Kim Palm's calling for. I can't believe they said 20. Like, I... <laughs> I, I I see it as a I see it as a pretty sizable Purdue win, but that's a big time prediction um, against IU against your rival. Um, so yeah, no, I think this is a Purdue win. I think it's a double digit win. But there's some hypothetical situations where you say, well, maybe this ends up closer than what we think it will. Yeah, and I mean Kempom, the, the, you know, this Purdue Indiana game is the same as Purdue Wisconsin to them. Like it's not, you know. The, that numerical projection obviously can't take into account that it's a rivalry game. And so that's where some of that comes in too. Um, Haslametrics does, doesn't he? I think Eric does. I think does Eric he? has some, I think so. I think he's got some like rivalry game uh, figure. I don't know. We had him on the, we had him on the, on, on the show earlier this year. I'll have to ask him. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Jeff Park said he saw an interview with Woodson. And I think this was before they practiced today. And he said, where did not practice today, but didn't give much more info. Have you heard anything about where's availability for the game? I have not. Um, this is referring to right towards the end of the Indiana Ohio state game. He just really awkward kind of hyper extension um, walked off on his own power, but that doesn't always mean anything. So I've heard nothing. That's obviously a huge deal. If he does not play for Indiana, um, yeah, I, I'm going back to this game. Like, I assume Purdue's just going to run the same same strategy that they did last time. Even if Renew, Renew and Ware don't get in foul trouble, like uh, Renew had, I think, eight points in that first matchup. I'm pulling up the box score now. Um, yeah, Renew had eight points in 35 minutes, and what Purdue did was basically just doubled him, but they doubled him with a guard, right, to take away that big to big passing. And they said, if you beat us from the perimeter, we'll adjust and we'll figure it out from there. And that stretch in that second half where IU started making it close, Mabako hit a three, Gabe Cups hit a three, 
and I think maybe Trey Galloway hit like a pull up, like a 15 footer or something like that. Like there, there was a eight minute stretch or whatever, where IU was starting to hit their jumpers. And that's I, like, that's just the key for them is, is Purdue. I assume again, is just going to take away renew, take away wear on the inside for as well as you can. Um, and then live with whatever happens on the perimeter. You know, CJ Gunn played 18 minutes that game. Right now, it's more Anthony Leal. We also, I don't, Xavier Johnson's, I believe, going to be in this game as well. So it's going to be a full, you know, Gabe Cups for however long. Uh, a lot of things just not going there. It's, it's going to come down to if if I use guards can can play well, then that's when they'll stick. Galloway has the ability. I mean, he put up 17 in that first matchup. Like he has the ability to get to that floater that Purdue will give up in their drop coverage. Um, and he hits his floater a ton. He has not shot the ball well at all this year. Most of his high scoring games are when he randomly goes three for seven from three or something like that. Um, he goes three for four last game. Like he's shooting sub 30% on the year. You don't expect it to happen. He has shown he can do it. All that being said, it doesn't also matter. Like it, it all doesn't matter if, they don't figure out what they want to do defensively. Um, this was, if we go back to that game, this was the Braden Smith, you know, one for, what was he? One for, one for a lot of, two for 14. There it is. Two for 14. But it was one of those that's just like, he missed wide open shots. And besides that, he absolutely dominated that game. Does Indiana try to take away him and pick a roll? Does Edie go for 40 then? I don't, and then it's also, now it's at Mackey, right? And so it's, you leave the shooters and they shoot 44% at, from three at home. And, Purdue's a good team is is kind of what it boils down to. And, and Indiana right now is not as good of a team. Yeah, no doubt. And if if Ware doesn't play tomorrow and if Johnson is out, which it appears he's, I mean, he said he was out indefinitely at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, that's going to be a tall, tall order for IU to, to try to hang into this. But even, even beyond that, and I don't want to just tee off on IU all that much, but I've had some conversations with some guys that you and I both know that cover IU and feel like I'm not being too hard on them because they agree with me when we have these conversations. Uh, there's just so many things fundamentally that bother me about what IU does. Like situational fouling when there's a few seconds left on the shot clock, fouling guys that are 30 foot from the rim, uh, just not having awareness in, in terms of oh, awareness or energy to chase down balls. Like you just watch this team right now and you wonder, you wonder where they're at just from a, from a fundamental standpoint, defensively, you wonder where they're at from an energy standpoint, sometimes um, across the board for the most part, other than renew and Galloway. Like I think those two dudes, I, I would, I'm, I'm going to say it right now. I would take either one of those dudes, Joe. <laughs> like, I, I I love the way Renew and Galloway both play. They're high-energy guys that have a lot of skill, um, especially Renew. Galloway is more just a high-energy guy that figures out a way to get some points. Um, but I just there, there's so many little things that you watch, and you just wonder what's happening in practices sometimes because it, it just little things that you know, just doesn't happen on Purdue's team, little mistakes. It just goes back to who these teams are, just in general. Um, it just was wasn't a fit for for Indiana. wasn't a fit for Indiana this year, um, and it just it, it just hasn't worked out. And then they've had some injuries and, and stuff like that. But it's been like just yeah, just, just so up and down. Um, 
the the defense is what just baffles me from them because like in my head it doesn't make sense how they're like this bad at defense like they're they're not a good defensive team and in my head it's like you have Ware who could be a really good rim protector you have Galloway when Johnson was healthy I would say most is at minimum he's a really pesky defender if not a good defender on the perimeter um but then you know renew is I think it's kind of shown renew at the four he's gotten it's not been great on the perimeter um going back to going to this game specifically like we've said it already throughout this whole this whole season right is in order to beat Purdue, you basically have to pitch a perfect game and you have to hope Purdue messes up some. And right now, like, I don't know. I don't know what would be like, has Indiana pitched up close to a perfect game for them this year? Like even Iowa, Iowa, they were up that first half was probably. And then that second half, they fall apart. They were able to pull out the win. So, you know, kudos there. Um, I guess home against Maryland on December 1st, if we go way back. That might have been close to it, and that was against you know a Maryland team that can't score the ball. Uh, yeah, yeah, Indiana has to pitch a perfect game, and there's can it happen? One hundred percent. It's just a lot has to go their way, and and that's kind of just a testament to who Purdue is too right now. Like I know we we just spent a lot kind of saying what's up with IU, but like hey, Purdue's <laughs> like Purdue is elite. It, it's right. not all it's, like even if IU was even just like a pretty good team, you know. Like this was this year would still be Purdue favored by you know ten twelve points or whatever you want to say. Yeah, I I, I mean, and good point to bring that back around to Purdue because we've just been criticizing what IU doesn't do well. But even if they did everything right, like even if IU with what they have, if IU plays their perfect game, this is a close game, right? Like I, I don't. <laughs> Unless Purdue would have one of their worst games of the year. Um, I don't, even if IU plays at the highest level that they could for what this team has done up to this point uh, throughout the year, I think this is just a close game, um, right? Like IU is not capable of playing a best game and somehow beating Purdue by 10. So it, it makes it really hard for me to get um, too worried. And man, I, I just, I feel like this is going to come back and bite us, Joe, like yeah, how confident we are in this, but like, man, it's just, it's really hard to get overly. I mean, it's going to be fun. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. If, if Purdue beats IU by 20 or 20, if both of those guys are out, like this could be a 25 point route and uh, that'll be a lot of fun for all Purdue fans and we will all enjoy it. Um, but it's hard to just get too excited about specific matchups or anything like that in this game because it's really just a matter of Purdue overmatches IU at most every position in this game. And yeah. Yep. That's it's that's it. Um it should be a very, very, very fun environment. Obviously uh I was in the paint crew for what is four Purdue versus IU games. Um and it, it's a lot of fun. Eight eight o'clock so it's prime time on Fox, like, you know, limelight's kind of there. Uh, so that, like, I think for me, it's, it's, I'm maybe not as excited as most years leading up, but I know once, you know, once Saturday comes, I'll just be kind of counting down the hours until I, I'm able to drive to Mackey. And then once we're in Mackey, it'll be, it'll be elite. Um, is there, I guess we don't have too much more to hit on. Are you, uh, like, is Brayden going to be able to hit shots this game? We assume he's been shooting the ball much better. Like that's not a concern at this point. Um, and it's home and it's, and home, it's home. Yeah. Like Fletch yeah. is, is going to hit shots. 
Lance has been, we like, I've seen a lot of statistics come out here lately. I didn't realize I knew Lance had been shooting the ball well, but I didn't know he'd shot the ball so well that he's brought his season average up over 35% now. Um, there's been a lot made about the fact that he shot 27% last year at Southern Illinois, but the year before that he was like 33, 34. And the year before that he was high thirties. So like historical trend line, I think it's all just mesh to him to a, his <laughs> career is the Lance Jones experience. Like you just look through <laughs> his bat, like that. It's that's who Lance Jones. I'll read, I'll read through him. So we're going to start from his freshman year to this year from three. So starting at freshman year, 30%, then 43%, then 34%, then 26%. And now he's 36% from two, from twos, 50%, 39%, 55%, 50%, and then even free throws, like 64, 69, 56, <laughs> 76, 75. Like, it's just who Lance Jones is. When I know when we did the preview show, it was you look at you just it's just so hard to look at that 27% from three and be like what or like not be like that. I mean, um, but that was I think one of the things that as a Purdue hopeful I was holding on to is like he's done it before. And I I think I feel like if at least if I if I didn't say on the show, at least when I was texting with Aiden, I was just like, you just hope for 33% and you live with it. And no, you know, I, I remember always... you saying that. I okay. remember you saying that specifically. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You you that's that was the hope. He's at 36% on the year, 38 in conference play. Um, maybe this is more of a we'll we'll save it for maybe the post-game show or something, but like or as we get closer to the end of the year. But like if Lance keeps this up, he's like an all Big Ten player, question mark. Like where would you rank him in defense? He's a top what defender. He's 12th in scoring right now in the Big Ten during Big Ten play. He's shooting pretty well. Like, I'm not saying it's a it's a lot. Oh, not first team all Big Ten. No, Just no, on, no. <laughs> I thought that's no. when you were saying that, I was like, he's not a top five player in the Big no, Ten. But because, yeah, like yeah. third team, second team, yeah, third team. A top yeah, 15 certainly player. potentially. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. If he keeps yeah. it up, especially if you only look within Big Ten play. Which I guess do you know like what like the official it's supposed to be voted on? Like is it specifically Big Ten games or is it your entire year? I don't know. Because I know last year was I think last we, we year we don't we don't get votes, Joe. We need to protest. We need votes. True. True. Because I know last year, like a lot of the IU fans' argument for Trace was that like, yes, Edie was insane in non-conference, but it's Big Ten player of the year. I just don't know. I maybe I don't even know who to ask. Somebody will know. We'll throw it on the Twitter maybe and figure it out. Um, don't don't you think a lot of his um, improvement from those percentages is the fact that he's the third slash fourth option within any game, and that and it look give Ant Wright credit because <laughs> early on he like he like pieced out Lance's three point shooting and said Lance Jones in catch-and-shoot situations was like shooting 44, 45, or some stupid percentage relative to what his actual percentage was. Yeah. And that's primarily... Now, he gets stuck... His percentage would actually probably be higher, but he generally is the guy that gets stuck in late shot clock and late end of half in the game uh, scoring situations because of his ability to kind of create on his own for his own shot a little bit more. Um, but he's getting way more just straight up catch and shoot opportunities than he ever did at Southern Illinois. Yeah, 100%. And like we 
Lance Jones shoots from deep, right? We know that even this year, you know, off catch and shoot, he was shooting those off of dribbles, off of sidesteps, off of step backs, like that deep last year. Um, I have no clue if their coach was cool with it. I assume at some point he was sort of was because he kept doing it. Um, no, I like we obviously I'm not I'm not trying to take credit because we were still very much undersold what Lance brought could bring to this team in the preseason. I think in our mind, though, at least in mind, there was like scenarios where he could be productive and it was basically all on him buying into the system. And and I mean, I don't know if there's a, like has anybody bought into the system more than Lance this year? It feels like, like he's just, right. he is Purdue. He's a Boilermaker. Um, I don't know how this turned into a Lance Jones segment, but I'm not mad about it. <laughs> um, I know we're, we're wanting to keep this kind of short, so we'll, we won't go too much longer. Anything else? I feel like we hit on basically everything. Is there anything else that stands out um, in terms of, you know, specifically the Purdue IU matchup? I know Blake Wimmer said renew went for 26 and 14 at Ohio state the other night. He's obviously a key for you know who Purdue has to stop, um, but do you do you have anything uh, about Purdue IU? Yes, or if, um, you, if, you, if there's other Purdue stuff that you don't get off during um, the end of shows, <laughs> then go for it. No, I don't. I don't really have much else with Purdue IU other than man on on a Saturday, wait until eight o'clock. That's just that's just kind of rough. Like I, yeah. I was thinking about that. Like I've got to sit around and wait all day long for that at eight o'clock that night to head towards yeah. the stadium about six thirty and roll in at seven o'clock. But um, yeah, no, I I don't have much else. I yeah. If we lose I mean, this game, I'll, I'll shave my head. No, see, well, that oh, <laughs> it, it took a sec for me to. There you go. Um, if they lose this, then I, my whole post game show will just be like produce confirm winning because that's that seven wins streak uh, three times will have been snapped in a row. So that'll be that. Um, there are a couple good games Saturday before Purdue, which will help. You know, Wisconsin at Rutgers at noon has turned into a massive game for Wisconsin, uh, and then yeah. follows that up with Illinois at Michigan State, a gigantic game for them too. So there's at least those which will help pass the time before before the eight o'clock tip, like you said, uh, Jeff Parks comments here said he saw the brain assist graphic that uh, we did. And so what the graphic I made was the top five assist duos in the big 10 brain has number one and number three. Um, I think he, what he was only a couple behind number two, the with brain and Lance Jones. So it could, um, the number two was, was Hogard with Walker. It's very possible that brain ends up with the top two. It's kind of wild what he's doing this year. Oh no, it's insane. And I, I feel like, like we we feel like, hey, we got to make sure we talk about how impressive Zach is, even that, like, <laughs> yeah, because it's just we're so used to it. And Zach puts out those numbers every time, and we have to remind ourselves to be like, hey, don't forget, Zach is doing literally things that nobody has done uh, in decades in, in terms of repeat performance from last year to this year. But I also think we kind of get lost on the Braden Smith conversation sometimes because we're so focused. I, th I think as Purdue fans, and I would consider us that because uh, we, at the end of the day, we are a Purdue fan show. Um, yes. I think we focus so much on what Purdue was last year. And this is what people don't get. So like uh, Carter, Greg, like they're like, why, why are Purdue fans so giddy about Lance? Why are they so giddy about Lance? Because so many Purdue fans are like, what is, what is going to put Purdue over the top from last year to this year, right? And our third last year was either Ethan Morton or 
well, our third was Fletcher Lawyer. Our fourth was either Ethan Morton or Brandon Newman. Both good players, not taking anything away from them. But you look at their output and efficiency relative to Lance, that's that's why Purdue fans are like so jazzed about Lance because it's that it's that, oh, we've got this other piece, and we had these guys last year. They've all stepped up their game. Braden stepped up their game. Fletcher stepped up their game. But Lance is this new piece that could potentially put Purdue over the top, take them to a Final Four, all that sort of thing. That's why Purdue fans get so jazzed up about it. But we need to friggin' remember, Braden Smith is a top 10 point guard in the country. And I don't give a shit what the Bob Cousy Award finalist list nominees have to say about it. There is no doubt. Statistically, you compare him to other people on that list, and he blows them away. Like, I, I, I do think Braden gets lost in this conversation sometimes, even though we're like, oh, Braden had 12 assists, 10 assists, 16 assists. Like, great game for Braden. But that one bad pass, like, he's yeah. phenomenal. He's insane. He sees the court, and he plays that thing like a puppeteer uh, and just manipulates defenses so many times. We We definitely need to make sure that we give him his kudos at every opportunity. Yeah, 100%. And, and I'm a huge Braden guy. Like, if anybody's ever bored or you want to pass some time Saturday before the Purdue IU game, go watch Braden Smith high school highlights. Like, it's just wild some of the stuff he did. Um, and and we, there's all the under recruited and underrated, all that stuff in high school. Um, when you just watch how he played, you just could tell he had it. What, whatever you want to define it as, he had it. And, and it's translated. I mean, he's. Like he's increased his assist rate by 10% this year. So he's number 14th in the country in assist rate, which is just like percentage of buckets while you're on the floor that come from your, like you assist on them. But his turnover rate has stayed the same. Like he he's facilitated way better and not at the cost of turnovers. And, and it's, it's been crazy to see sh- increase in the shooting percentage um, way. I mean, I we're getting close to that point where they kind of him and, and Fletch really tailed off last year. I don't see that happening there. Just you have a full season under your belts and stuff like that. Um, but it's yeah, it, it's crazy what brain what brain has done. Um, go. Well, we we were our, we're already at that point. Like it was mid January last year or so when when the trail down started for the team in general. I don't I don't want to say specifically for those two, but when you yeah. looked at three point shooting percentages, like mm. Purdue was yeah. like on a month, off a month, on a month, off a month, and then the off month was March, <laughs> um, yeah. as as well. So like I, I feel like they already we've already kind of skipped through one of those streaks. And one of the points I was trying to make about the three point shooting in general in that tweet last week that you chimed in about was. The floor, right? The floor last year, there was five or six games last year where Purdue shot in the teens, like 11 to 17%. The floor this year is 26%. Is 26% great? No, but you're going to have some off shooting nights, but that floor is so much higher than what it was last year. And a couple of those games were close, but Purdue still pulled out. They shot like 25, 20, or 26, 27, 28%. And last year, those were games where they shot 16, 17%. Yeah, I'm looking at the stats. They've shot under 30% only six times this year. They're five and one in those games. Uh, the only loss was at Northwestern. And the teams that they beat, uh, so Eastern Kentucky, whatever, 
the teams that the other four teams they beat Wisconsin, Tennessee, at Rutgers, and Gonzaga. So it's not like they're beating nobody's while shooting bad. Like they're finding ways to win against quality teams. You know, Tennessee is a top five, top ten team in the country. Wisconsin's top five. Top, top five. five. Wisconsin's a top <laughs> fifteen team in the country or whatever. Um like they're finding ways to do it against good teams too. So. Rutgers is the top five defense in the country. True, they're top. Like, like we need to acknowledge, they're like number two in defense nationally. The last, I think, the last I saw is um, shout out to Stacy, uh, number two in defense nationally, but like 199th offensively or something like that. 298th <laughs> offensively and second defense. Oh, I was off by an entire hundred. You're looking. You're thinking of Maryland. Maryland's like 206th. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Wow. So, um, I, do we want to like? Go ahead. I was I was gonna I was gonna give us an out if we want to wrap this up. If you want to like talk Big Ten for a few minutes, I'm down. I'm kind of riffing right now, man. Like, all right. <laughs> can you go solo for a minute? Yeah, I will go solo and talk about the Big Ten in general. And actually, I will talk about the national landscape of of how people view conferences right at this particular moment because. I think it's a really interesting conversation as we look around and talk about seeding and how many teams are going to make the tournament. And this year, more so than most years, I just don't know if there's any single conference out there that I truly trust. So like the, the Big 12 has a lot of teams ranked fairly high, both in Ken Palm and both in the net. But when you really study the non-conference schedule of those teams, like Kansas played a pretty good non-conference schedule. Houston had a couple. Baylor had a couple. Most of that conference's net ranking weight that was built up before they started conference play was kind of built off playing mid-level teams, like teams that were ranked in the 50s, 80s. Like They didn't play top 20 teams. Um, I, I, I didn't just, hear what you I'm, said, but I'm, I know what you're talking about now. I, I'm just, I was talking about... I, I, I skipped a beat. I went to the, the, the conference debate nationally. And I, I just, I, I'm not saying any conference is bad or any conference is good. Like there's just no conference out there this year that I trust because the ones that big 12 is really highly ranked in net, but then you look at their non-conference schedule and it's like, well, eight of those teams didn't play anybody in the non-conference. So like, what do we actually know about those teams? And I, this is kind of crazy for me to say because I always make fun of SEC basketball and that it looks like an open run court, like at open gym, um, watching SEC basketball. I may trust the SEC more than any other conference this year, like one through five or six. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a weird year. And, and I've been transparent of like, I watch a ton of big 10 basketball and I don't watch a ton of elsewhere. Um, but I do enough to, at least understand kind of what's going on. It's just like outside of Purdue, UConn, and then maybe I know Houston and UNC are sort not UNC probably, but like Houston sort of thrown in that mix. Like you can really poke holes in literally everybody. And, and even Houston, I know you could just say like the offense right, and like, like the schedule. Yeah. And stuff. Is um, there going to be some team that they just can't bully defensively that puts up yeah. 70 points and they only manage to score 50 some night? Like, yeah. Yeah. But just in general, it's just like a, it, it doesn't, in my head, it doesn't quite make sense. Cause like not every single team can have a down year, but like, it just feels like the, at least the major, the power conference 
everybody's just having a down year. Like you just look across the board, the Big 12, you, you kind of already laid out that argument. The SEC is is has good teams at the top, but even then, like Auburn's picking up some good wins now. So they look yeah. better. Alabama's Alabama's turned like I did not think that they were going to be that good this year. They've turned it around. Um, but even then, what is their South defense? Carolina? South, South Carolina's look good. Like yeah. the, this is kind of why I've like gravitated towards the SEC on the conference side of things. They're just their bottom so bad. Yeah. Like, and it, I mean so and bad. you look you look at the Big East and you got UConn and you got Marquette. I think Creighton is on fraud watch. Um, and then like everybody else in that people want to prop that conference up because everybody else is on the bubble, but also they're all on the bubble. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, there, there's only three teams in there that are, you really know are going to make the tournament. They could get six or seven. In. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, Sounds like the big 10, the mountain West, man. Like, Mountain West is fun. Like, they're fun. Legitimately, in terms, if you would look at a conference out there and be like, "Man, they're having a really good year," it's probably the Mountain West in terms yep. of what their baseline normally is from one year to the next. I mean, I, I don't know when this tweet was. It was a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago at this point. Um, and I think it was T three Bracketology, who's, you know, T three Bracketology is one of my go tos, definitely for Bracketology stuff. And, and there's Delphi and all that. So shouting them out. Um, but it was kind of just saying like, hey, Mountain West could get like six bids. There was like a scenario. It's not going to happen, but like they have that quality of teams. And my tweet was like, Mountain West just might have more bids than the Big Ten. And like, it's it's a very low percent chance that happens at this point, but like it's a non-zero percent chance. And even just to say that is kind of wild at this point. But it's true. Like the, there is a scenario that it where it plays out and, and the, the Mountain West has more bids than the Big Ten and some of the other power conferences. Yeah. Well, definitely than the Pac-12. Yes, Pac-12 is going to have like <laughs> one and a half. <laughs> who's so Arizona? Who's like, the like, who's the second? That's why I said a half. I didn't have a, a team in mind. Um, Washington State's seconds. They're seven and four, sixteen and six overall. Let's see. Was there three hundred twelfth in non-conference? Their best non-conference win was probably. Uh, neutral against Boise State's, so it, it's looking like it's probably Washington State. Is is it Oregon's? I know sort of on the bubble. Um, UCLA is looking better, but they were so bad in non-conference that I don't know if they can make it up. But yeah, and they got beat by like forty in a conference game the other night, or something ridiculous. Ohio uh, State beat UCLA. Just think about that. That's that says a lot. So let's. Uh, what what do you want to riff about in the Big Ten? Because I need to dip. I need to dip and let you go solo just like you did, but I do want to talk more big 10. Yeah, I will. I'll go through it for, um, if you need to go for a second, I'll I can probably... still hear, I can still hear oh, you. Gotcha. So I'll I know, mean, I'll know like, what you think. I feel like we have to start with Illinois, Wisconsin right now, just with what Wisconsin has done now, lost three in a row. Uh, shout out Cobra stats for the stat. That's I think team big 10 teams playing Purdue are now two and nine in the game following that game where they played Purdue. Um, it's you know i was never i was never wisconsin like a believer in wisconsin being a top 10 team in the country um and in terms of illinois i always had them i feel like pretty close i think probably around that illinois lost to maryland i, I would i would just you know i didn't have like weekly power rankings but in my head i probably had wisconsin a little bit ahead they were always in the same tier for me 
Um, and it's kind of funny. It's almost flipped a little bit now. I put out a poll yesterday of who's better, and it was 85% Illinois, 15% Wisconsin. I would say that, that you know, for me, if, if we're putting percentages, I'd put like 60% Illinois, 40% Wisconsin. But I'm not going to be mad at people that put Wisconsin. Like, I totally get it. Um, and and I, I'm curious when Craig does come back what he kind of chimes in on that. Um, I, I think Wisconsin has just shown like these – the at Nebraska loss brutal because you're up by 18. You lose at home to Purdue, whatever that you know, Purdue's a top team at Michigan can't happen. And, and I think mm. it's just a little bit of like Wisconsin to me feels like a pretty, a fairly high variance team. You have AJ Store that gets to the rim a lot this year, which has improved that it, like an insane amount for them. But at the end of the day, I still think they're a pretty jump shot heavy team and they force a lot of jumpers and and like I don't know if Michigan, I don't know if Michigan necessarily played better. It just felt like Wisconsin just kind of let the game slip at times. Um, they were getting to when they got to the rim, great success. They just didn't always try to. It felt like, um, and but uh, Illinois sort of has the same problems, and that's where I'm saying like for me, it's probably it's swung probably a little bit too far the other way. Where I think they're closer maybe than people are are currently giving them, but uh, Wisconsin's Wisconsin's closer to where I think in my head I've sort of had them for a while. Early yeah, season. and I, I don't know that I consider either of them true top 10 teams, but I, I was having this conversation with my son. If, for those of you guys that don't know, my son's a lives in Wisconsin. He's a big Wisconsin fan. Took him to the game the other day. Um, and was having this conversation with him the other day, and he was like, do you really think Wisconsin – he asked me whether I really thought Wisconsin was like the number six team in the country. And I'm like, well – like I don't view them as a number six team in the country, but also who else were you putting there at that time? Like there's just, there's a dearth of teams beyond Purdue and UConn that you can really get behind and say, well, they're definitely a top five team. Um, Other I'm, I'm still really high on Tennessee just because of the way they play. The fact that Ziegler, now that he's come back from injury and started to get comfortable again, I think they're a top five team. Um, but there's not a whole lot of others that I'm just like locked in on saying they're definitely a top 10 team. So uh, Purdue or Wisconsin, Illinois being up there, like, I don't think you could judge it. And I've had Wisconsin over Illinois most of the year in my rankings, just because they've had the resume to back it up better. They've got that win over Marquette. Um, they've got more quad one wins. Uh, I just thought they had the better resume, but man, that, that loss to Michigan, I realized that it was an away game, but just the narrative and uh, the look that Michigan had just given up on the season, that's got to be one of the worst losses by a top 10 team in the country all year. Like, yeah, that's that's devastating. Um, I don't know where they dip. I mean, they I assume they have one more game this week. And if they win that game, maybe they only dipped uh, Wisconsin, you know, yeah, at Rutgers. And a Rutgers yeah. team that's playing better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if they beat if they beat Rutgers, maybe they dip down to twenty or something like that in the rankings. Um, yeah. I it, my faith in Wisconsin was that like they play super fundamental basketball and tend to make the right play. Chucky can go off script every once in a while, but for the most and part, like story. yeah, yeah. But I, I just had more faith, yeah. right? But that Illinois Nebraska game the other day, like 
to me, even though Illinois wins that game, that was every concern that I've had about Illinois all year. And we were texting about this. Like you watch that first half and you're like, man, I have not seen an Illinois basketball team under Brad Underwood move the ball this good. They're just swinging it around. They're kicking it. Boom, boom. You know, kick out hockey assist, hockey assist, just slinging the ball. And then they get to like the last eight to 10 minutes of that game. And it was like, all of a sudden they just went back to the old Illinois team, Illinois teams of hero ISO ball. And it was either Shannon trying to do something on his own, Damas trying to do something on his own, Hawkins trying to do something on his own. Like, where did all that ball movement go? And it's, I, I think, um, Beeline said something about it on Big Ten Network that night too, after you and I were texting about it, of just like, what are they doing? <laughs> like, when, when they move the ball, they're an elite team, but it's like they go through these stretches and they forget what makes them an elite team. And, it, and that just scares the death out of me of like, why do they do that? And are they going to do that in a big moment? And it's going to cost them. That's fair. I mean, that's like Illinois and Wisconsin play a bit different. But in my head, they're basically the same team in that sense of just like there is this elite side to them. And for sometimes they just don't do it for whatever reason. Um, it looks a little bit different because when Illinois doesn't do it, it's more iso ball. Whereas Wisconsin, when Wisconsin doesn't, it's they move the ball, but like their movement doesn't do a single thing. And then it turns into having to force a shot. Um, shout out Gold Fedora guy says watching live from the stands of the Moda Center waiting for Jane Ivy to light up Portland. What he had 37 yesterday. Um, like 30, 37, 8, and 7. And it was, I think, over 50% from three and over 50% from the floor. Just an insane game. He is playing so much more confident. Yeah. I want to say in the last, I, I think I saw a stat in the last 10 to 12 games, he's shooting like 45, 50% from three or, or something ridiculous. Um, ever since, uh, what's their coach's name? I forget now. Um. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, he's he started to put the ball there. I remember seeing a press conference where when when Cade went out and Jaden had the ball primarily in his hands, somebody asked him about like because Jaden started playing better immediately, and he asked him something about should Jaden have had the ball in his hands as the primary creator more, and he said like he was just like, yeah, like I need to own that. Um. It, this is what made him great last year when Cade was out. And it's obvious that we need to do that more. And ever since that happened, he's he's been playing at a really, really high level over. Yep. So now, shout, uh, props, props to Jaden. Love Jaden. Yeah. Killian Hayes is also gone now and he was starting over Ivy for a bit. Uh, so there isn't isn't that worry for him anymore either. Um, is there is there anything else kind of Big Ten college basketball you want to hit on or should we wrap it here? How many teams are going to make the NCAA tournament from the Big Ten? My gut just tells me five. Mm -hmm. And my gut specifically tells me one of Nebraska or Northwestern. And I know you'll say MSU, which is totally fair. But just not not like thinking logic, like just pure gut says one of Nebraska or Northwestern doesn't make it. And, and I'm, I, would, I would say me saying that it's MSU that doesn't make it is pure gut because their metrics say they're going to make it. I just like I don't trust MSU to go better than 500 down the stretch. I just don't. Like, yeah. I I don't feel like they've shown to me all year that they can. They've played a lot of really good teams, but 
how many have they beaten in quad one and quad two? They're like four and nine or something in quad one and quad two. Or I don't remember what the number is, but it's it's <laughs> they've lost double the games that they've won in quad one and quad two. So yeah, like at some point you got to win some of those games, and I just don't know that I trust Michigan State to win fifty percent of the games they have left on their schedule, and I feel like they have to do that to get in. And see, that's where I'm at with Northwestern and Nebraska too. Northwestern maybe not quite as much, but like. Both those teams have just struggled away from from home. Um, obviously, Northwestern played really well against Purdue at Purdue, but like I don't know, you just go through like they all have pretty easy schedules, um, and that's where Michigan State like if if they can pick up this home win against Illinois Saturday, then I feel very good about them making it because um, then their road games from there at Purdue that's an L, right? Or we assume that'll be an L. Then it's it's at Penn State, who's feisty at Michigan. I expect I, I would I would assume Michigan State wins that, but who knows? And then at IU, so it's like those. It's not like they have hard road games left. Like that Minnesota game is was they're probably their third hardest game left. I would think um, behind the Illinois and Purdue games. But at the same did time, you say they, still... did you say they play at IU? Yes, uh, the last day of the year. And you have confidence that Michigan State will win at IU? Yeah, I think they're better. I still think they're a better basketball team than Indiana. Michigan State bigs against Khalil Ware and and Renew. Yeah, they'll figure it out. <laughs> no, I've got that circled as an L for Michigan State. Um, and that it pains me to say it, to say that I think IU is going to win that one. But no, I, I think IU dominates that game at home. Per, or not dominates, but I think they win. Um, I But... Like you say, Michigan State's got a relatively easy schedule when we're talking about these three teams, but they play Illinois and Purdue. Northwestern yeah, is probably out of the three. Which yeah, is good Northwestern and bad. Northwest Yeah, it's good and bad because it's less chances for Northwestern and Nebraska to pick them up, but Northwestern's already beat Purdue, Nebraska's already beat Purdue. Um yeah. Northwestern, Nebraska already beat Wisconsin. Yep. Like they've got two signature wins. Um yeah. I I think I think if both of those teams just rack up wins, they've got a couple of signature wins that get them into the tournament. And I think they, I, I they don't, they're not, they they're not going to go undefeated in the next eight games or seven games, whatever it is. But I think there's a good chance. Both of those teams could lose one or two games out of the rest of their schedule. And I'm giving Maybe. Michigan state, I'm giving Michigan state at least, at least two losses. Yeah. I, I would think Michigan state loses two. is, and maybe that's just me being hopeful. I mean, I mean, I mean, guaranteed. And then I think yeah. there's a lot of just toss up games in there for that. Gotcha. Gotcha. I would, I think, I think they lose two. I don't know if it's Illinois, it's Purdue. And then I don't know if it's Illinois or if they slip, they get Illinois and slip up somewhere else. Um, that would be my guess. But the other, I mean, the other thing with Northwestern and, and I don't think it'll be as big of a deal because they have got some good wins, but like if they don't make it, they're going to look back on December 13th. And when they lost, they they have a quad four loss at um, home against Chicago State. Like if Northwestern doesn't make it, that's that's what's going to be the reason. Is they're going to you know they're seven and five now in Big Ten. If they get to eleven Big Ten wins, they're probably good. Twelve is would I don't see why twelve would keep you know twelve should be in for sure. Um, but if you know, but they do have an easy schedule: home against Penn State, at Rutgers, at IU, home against Michigan. Like you expect three and one in that probably. Um, maybe two and two at absolute worst. 
Then it's at Maryland, home against Iowa, at Michigan State, home against Minnesota. Yeah, like, yeah, you'd expect at worst really 500. And if that's if the we, case, then that's 11 and 9. If we get deprived of Boo Booey in March, like, like I know as Purdue fans, we hate Boo Booey because of what Boo Booey has done to us. But me watching him in March, as long as he's not on our quadrant in the bracket. Um, if I get de- if I get deprived of that opportunity, I'm I'm going to be an angry, angry man. Fair enough. Um, if, if Nebraska makes the tournament, is Fred Hoiberg the coach of the year in the Big Ten? It's what it's him, Ben Johnson, or, or Painter at this point, right? Right. And what he was picked, Nebra- Nebraska was picked in the media poll. Like I want to say, probably somewhere between ten like and twelve. 10 and 12, yeah. somewhere in there. Where Minnesota was like 13th or 14th. Yeah. And now they're fifth, sixth ish in the. I don't know. It's going to be crazy that Matt Painter is not going to win a Big Ten coach of the year out of this stretch, but I get it. This, yeah. I get it. I get it. Is, it is what it is. Like, because, yeah, it, the, the vote is very much who was projected terribly that's done really well. And I do get that, especially in like the pros. Because you, as a coach, for the most part, you don't have control over your roster. Um, but, like, in college, you build this program, and, and Painter, like, has done that. And But I get it. I'm not, like, too upset about it. Um, yeah. yeah, the Tiberi injury for Northwestern is is going to be big. We'll see what happens. Martinelli looked good, but Northwestern is a not deep team at all. What's anyways. And Do we know if get, he's – have they announced anything? I haven't heard on... anything, no. Yeah. So, all right. Um, I do need to get going. It, I assume good. you're good too. Yep. Then. All right. Well, basically, um, me and Craig before this, we said 10, 15 minutes on IU. If if we if, you, <laughs> if there's ever a line, just bet the over on how long these shows go because it's just gonna go. Um, do appreciate everybody tuning in. You know, the first part with with NIL, um, with Dave, with Dave Neff. So we appreciate everybody. We'll be back Saturday after Purdue versus Indiana, eight o'clock tip on Fox, not Peacock this time. So everybody, you know. Fox will will, will be able to see. Um, We'll be here live after the game and recapping hopefully a pretty big Purdue win. So appreciate everybody tuning in, and we will catch you then.